free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at Le Banks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. John 14 and verse 1. I'm going to read two scriptures, John 14, then we're going to go over to uh, John chapter 4. But John 14, verse 1. Just read two verses there. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if you go to John 4, it's one of my favourite stories. And I just love the so much, so many principles we can get the way Jesus interacted with this particular lady. Uh, but there's some great principles from here. Anyway, John chapter 4, we're going to just read, I suppose, just 10 verses from that. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptised more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptise for his disciples, He left Judah and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychia, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where then did you get the living water? Are you great enough, Father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself? as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will, will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of... of sorry, will, will, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Okay. Now often we... As, John 14, 2, where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We often have traditionally, and I've used it myself many times, we've often looked at it as, a, as heaven. Uh, it's great truth in that. Uh, nothing wrong with doing that. I've often preached that and used that myself. But actually, if you, if you look at it in the means which Jesus was talking about, the actual word place there actually means a condition or environment. It's a place where you live your life from. And what Jesus actually says, I'm going to prepare an environment for you. An environment, a place where you live your life from. Isn't that awesome? And what he's saying is, Jesus is saying that the place where I live from, my environment, if you like, where I live my life from, I'm inviting you to come and to live in that same environment. I'm asking you to live in the same kind of place I live. Isn't that awesome? That I want to share my life with you and where I am, where I live my life from, 
Well, I'm asking you to come and live your life from that kind of sphere, that, that environment. That's where I want you to live your life from. And I just want to talk a little bit about what kind of place there is. What kind of place that, where we live our life from. And I want to leave, basically use a, free, a, a few principles from John 4 that actually show us how Jesus lived that life from and, and the kind of place he lived his life from. Let me see what I'm saying now. I want to look at some of those places. There's the first place, and you find in verse 1 and 3, it's an, an established place. As you read verse 1 to 3, it says the Pharisees. And he uses this term there. You know, a Pharisee, if you like, we often give them a bad press, if you like, but really a Pharisee was someone who is trying to make themselves better without God's help. And I think the real essence of religion is where it's trying to get something from God that God has always given you freely. Isn't that awesome? That's what religion is. It's trying to get something from God that he has already given to you freely. And it's interesting what that religion does. Religion always breeds comparisons, breeds competition. It kind of breeds this sense of striving. It's interesting that, that the Pharisees had heard. It says that Jesus made more disciples. In other words, the Pharisees were counting, but Jesus wasn't. Have you noticed that? And that's the kind of place where Jesus does not live from. This, this place of, of an established place. This striving. Adam and Eve were striving and they fell because they tried to get something from God that was already theirs. Same temptation that came to Jesus. Trying to tempt him to do something that already was his. If you are the son of God, then thus, thus. And religion always has that emphasis to try to make us to strive to earn something that God has already given to us. In our, particular, in our cell group, on, I think on Wednesday, we're talking very much about Galatians 3, really. And now that was the really emphasis of, of what Paul was saying to the Galatian church, how they were striving, they were adding to the work of the cross, trying to get something that already belonged to them. And if you read Galatians 3 verse 1, Jesus, Paul actually calls, calls them crazy people. He says, you are crazy, because you're trying to earn something that you already have received free by the work of the cross. And he says, when you do that, he actually calls it a curse. It says when you behave in that way, actually, the result of that is a curse. The people begin to feel condemned. They feel guilty. And In fact, the word curse means striving to earn something in the land of endless denial. That powerful? That's what the word curse means. It means trying to strive for something in the land of endless denial. In other words, what religion will do, it will never satisfy the heart. Whatever you do, it will never seem enough. You could read four chapters of the Bible. But you think, no, I should have read five. You could pray for one hour. You should have prayed for two. Whatever you do, when it's based and driven by a religious spirit, if you like, when it's driven by that, whatever you do, it's endless striving, and it never, ever seems enough, no matter what you do. How hard you try, how much you do, you always feel it's never enough. Ever done that? 
I remember I used to do that. I remember I used to write things out and write scriptures out. And I'd be at night thinking, I wonder if I put a capital letter in the word God or the, way, or the name Jesus. And so I'd rewrite it again. Notice I hadn't put the capitals in. And that kind of endless striving never seems enough. How many glad that you live from a place that Jesus has done it all. And that's the established place that we are called to live from. I'll tell you what this place is like. Ephesians 1.7 tells us this, that we've been accepted in the Beloved. You don't work for acceptance. The place that you work from is already acceptance. You don't, earn, you don't work to get your acceptance. You actually work from a place of acceptance. Look at 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I want you to get a really good hold of this. The place that we're called to live our lives from is a place we've already been accepted. It's a place that I would term as a place that's established, already established. And that's where we live our lives from. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. Paul says this in verse 1. It says, therefore we could no longer endure it and we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ. Notice this. To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed for this. In fact, we told you before, we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. In other words, Paul is saying that, that you become so established in your faith, you're so established in your faith that you can't be moved. See that word there, shaken? It's an interesting word. Do you know what it means? It's actually a word that actually means, it's interesting, the wagging of a tail. That's what it means. It means wagging of a tail. And that word there, tribulation, means outside pressure. In other words, you are so established in who you are in this place, who you are in Jesus, that no outside personal pressure can cause you to wag the tail of your life. Yeah, also, I love it. When you think of something wagging, you know, people move backwards and forwards. In other words, the circumstances and the pressures of life, that you're so established, it doesn't move you. In fact, we're not called to be the tail. You know what we're called to be? We're called to be the, the head and not the tail. Why? Because tails can be moved backwards and forwards. And you're called to be the head, not the tail. I've often found this. I think the most important thing is not what happens to us. It's what happens in us. And what happens to us is not meant to change what's happening in us. Why? Because we're established in this place that God's called us. I don't think we're called to be victims. We're not called to be sitting ducks of every circumstance that comes along our path. I love this phrase. We're not called to be sitting ducks. You know, we're called to be soaring eagles. You're not, lovely. You're not meant to be a sitting duck. You're meant to be a soaring eagle. I think I shared a few weeks ago. And I... Someone who wrote about eagles said this, and it kind of struck me. He was writing about eagles. He says, you know, one thing about an eagle is their eyes. And he says, the amazing thing is, as he stood in an eagle, that whenever a storm was about to come, 
He says, the eagles that are studied, their eyes lit up. They loved the thought of a storm coming. And the more they saw a storm come, the more their eyes kind of opened wide. Because they knew through the storm, they would use the storm to enable them to go to a higher realm, to go to a higher place. That's what eagles do. They saw. They saw and they used the storms to take them to a higher level and a higher dimension. That's why the Bible says that we are called to be eagles that soar. That when the storms, when the various pressures, when the circumstances of life come, they don't actually cause us to be pushed down, they cause us to rise up. How many would say in your life, and I think it's true of my life, the times when I've grown closer to God actually have been in the times of tribulations, have been in the times of afflictions, have been in the times when it's been hard. How many would say that? That's where the time you, you learn to discover something awesome and something incredible with God. For example, you would never know that God is a provider unless you're attacked in your finances. Is that true? You would never know he's a healer unless you were sick. You would never know he strengthened you unless you felt weak. So what God does in those moments he reveals something of who he is in your life. Bible says that we, we soar up like eagles. We run, I like this, and not grow weary. In other words, the circumstances and the pressures of life do not need to wear us out. In fact, as we learn to take our place in God, it's a place of rest. I mean, it would say that this place I'm talking about is a place of being at rest. And we say that, can you really be in the presence of God and, and be worn out because you're in the presence of God? I found the more I come into the presence of God, the more refreshed, the more renewed, the more at rest I feel. And the Bible says that you soar like eagles. The, the circumstances, the pressures, those things in life don't need to wear you out. But actually an opportunity for God to renew and restore and pour fresh strength into your life. Can you say amen? This established place that God has called us to live. And you only realize that's your inheritance in Christ, a place of rest. You realize that? You know what I discovered? I had this idea that in inheritance, I always think, well, Bible speaks about a lot of inheritance, but in my mind, as I perceive inheritance, you only get inheritance when you die. <laughs> or somebody else, sorry, somebody else dies and you get the inheritance. You know, in Hebrew thought, you got the inheritance when you needed it. Not when someone died. Isn't that awesome? So you got the inheritance when you need it. Everything that's a good idea. I like that one. I mean, like that one. There's the point that, that your inheritance is rest. Your inheritance is strength. Your inheritance is a place from which you live, a, an established place that you live from. Here's the second place that God wants us to live, and you kind of find it in John 4, verse 4. Interesting phrase where he says here. If you ever saw that, Situation. If you, if you see the background of it, it's a powerful truth. In John 4, verse 4, when I find it. Okay, that's why iPads are so useful. <laughs> Notice that. Anyway, he says that he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Jesus is in Judah. And it says that he, he departed again, to, he was going to Galilee. 
You know, Samaria is this dry, rocky place. Here's the point. If Jesus had a sat-nav, he wouldn't have gone through Samaria. If we had a sat-nav, people, theologians tell us, he would have gone straight along the Jordan River. That word there, verse 4, when it says that he needed to go through Samaria, actually means he didn't have to do it naturally. He was compelled to go that way. He was compelled to go. God was compelling him to go right out of his way to meet one woman. Isn't that awesome? This dry, rocky place, he was compelled to go. I think God wants to restore compelling again to his people. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that that moves me to go. I think that the love of God can so compel us. We begin to look at people in a different way. We see them through the eyes of Father. I love this word, compel. I love this sense that, that Jesus knew he had a purpose. There was a cause for him to go where he went. And I believe with all my heart that what God, the place that God wants us to live from is a place of a cause. You live your life from a sense of purpose and a sense of cause. I think we're called to live a life that flows from living the will of God out of our lives. I want you to see John 12, 27. I'm going to, in the King James of this verse, in the King James of this verse, verse 27, it says there, For my soul is troubled, Jesus says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But notice this, but for this purpose I came. Or the King James says, for this cause I came. In other words, Jesus had a purpose, Jesus had a cause to reach out to man and to die for salvation. And I think the cause of our life, the purpose of our life, the place that we live from, this place of purpose, must always be connected to the cause of Jesus Christ. Every great cause is always found in the pathway to serving. You kind of just serve, and it's amazing how the cause begins to find you. Living from a place of cause, living from a place of purpose. As you begin to serve, out of that serving, it's amazing how a cause begins to grip your heart. You say, Amen. Have you ever read this? Uh, I, I love reading, sorry, Heidi Baker. Have you ever read about Heidi Baker? Absolutely transforming the nation of Mozambique. Incredible things happening. You know what they do? They go into villages. You know what they ask? Is anyone dead? And they raise the dead. They go into the That's what they do. And they're actually shaking the whole nation of Mozambique. But here's the point. You know where she started off? She started off by reaching one orphan. That's what she did. Just one orphan that she reached. And, she, and they've realized this. This is their kind of, this is their cause they believe they reach Mozambique one child at a time. Isn't that awesome? That's what they do. And it started off in just that way of reaching one child. From that now they've got thousands and thousands of orphans that they're reaching for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? 
tens of thousands that they're reaching and the whole nation is being shaken because they, they just did one thing and out of that serving came a cause. I think when we embrace God's cause, it changes the way you see life. Every success, every victory is for the cause of Christ. In other words, you begin to see that your words have a cause. Your talents have a cause. The way you live your life has a cause. Every resource you have has a cause. And it's amazing what God begins to do those those things when you see your talents and your gifts and your resources aren't just, just there, but they have a cause behind them. And you use them for the cause of Christ. When you find a cause bigger than you, someone said, you'll find a, a God as big as he has ever felt. And you'll find this, that when you find your cause, it begins to shape your life. Your heart becomes more in line with God's heart. You hear his voice more clearly. You begin to say, God, where can I make a difference? Say, God, open my eyes to see the needs around me. And you find one need and you meet that need. And suddenly, of course, begins to rise in your heart. And I think when you find a cause, it means it's going to mean two things. One thing is going to mean sacrifice. Sometimes it means time, energy, going out of your way. Secondly, it means surrender. D.L. Moody said that we are yet to see what God can do with a person fully surrendered to him. And he says, Lord, let me be that man. Let me be that man. And God just caused him to just shake America and even the UK. Because there was a man who says, God, I want a cause. And I give my life to the cause of Christ. And God shook nations as he did that. Isn't that awesome? And you'll find that as you do those things, as, as, as that place where you, you surrender to his cause and you sacrifice for his cause, you know it brings? brings into your life a sweetness. I think often through life, things can sour us. We get sour. You know what I mean? Grumpy. Sour. And sometimes the things that we need, that when you find a cause, it brings a sweetness to your heart, a sweetness to your spirit. You get your sweetness back. It's the power of Christ, the cause of Christ. So we live from a, from a, a, a place of cause. Here's the third thing we live from. It's a life-giving place. I said before that Samaria is a kind of dry, rocky place. Have you ever thought about this woman? The Bible says, as you read it, She'd been married four times. Now that's a powerful truth. I'll tell you why that is. You know, in those days, because basically what it says that four men rejected her. Four men rejected her. Because in those days, men could reject, could divorce their woman for anything. If they didn't cook well, you could divorce them. If they, didn't, if, if they burnt your dinner, you would just leave a note, leave it on your table, and you'd divorce them. That's what, in those days, that's what the culture was like. You would, the man could actually divorce the woman for the most ridiculous things. And so four men had, because the woman could never initiate the divorce, it must always be the man. So four men had rejected her, and even the man she was living with wouldn't marry her. She went at a certain time of the day, because that was when nobody else was around. Nobody else would be able to gossip about her, 
or talk about her. So she went at the time of the day at noon when there was nobody else there. And the Bible says that she was amazed because Jesus was speaking to her. Number one, men, a man would never speak to a woman that's not his wife. And secondly, a Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. And I love the fact that Jesus just demolished all the barriers. All the things that kept that woman from hearing good news were demolished. He demolished every barrier, every war, by fulfilling and going forward in what he had. I think Satan loves to put up barriers, but Jesus just plowed right through them. And what Jesus said, is I want to see, he says, I want to give life-giving water. I've never read the Latin version of the Bible. I've never read the Latin version. Who can even speak Latin? But I'm told that the Latin version there, from the word rivers, is the word Niagara. And it's, it means lots and lots of living water. Jesus says to him, if you ask me, I will give you living waters that are going to flow in and out of you. I just love this fact today, that, that what Jesus wants to do with us is to give us life giving waters that reach out to broken, hurting people. That's what he wants to pour into our lives. This ability to release out of our lives life-giving water. And what he's saying is this, that you never have to find yourself in a place where you've not got anything to give. You never have to live your life on empty. That God wants to pour so much into you, you're always in a place where you can give something in some way to bless somebody else every time. You never have to live your life on empty. I kind of struck sometimes the other day how Jesus said to somebody, you give them a cup of water in my name. And it's this sense that, that, that you're taking something that is a resource, if you like, and you're allowing that resource to refresh and touch somebody else. And I think the truth is this, that he wants to give us things. Give us a word for somebody. He wants to, 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 to give us wisdom for somebody. He wants to pour resources into us for somebody. He wants, to, he, wants to, he wants to pour into your life incredible resources that's not necessarily for you, but for you to give to somebody else house. Can you say amen? I just love that thought. You know, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Because out of that, the Father gives me the resources and the ability that I need to give to other people life-giving water. There's two words for time in the Bible. One of the words is the word kairos. And that word kairos means pregnant with opportunity. Seeing the moment and taking it. Seizing the opportunity to give to somebody else. And I believe right there for Jesus, that was a kairos moment. Would you believe that? A kairos moment. He sees that moment and he sees that opportunity to touch that particular lady. 
there's a verse and it's kind of you can't but it speaks of how the devil at the end time is under great wrath because his time he knows his time is short how many read that verse Revelation 12 he says Satan has great wrath because his time is short and that word time he uses there isn't clock time chronos it's kuros which means that opportunity that moment of opportunity in other words that the church the body of Christ has risen up and they're taking all the Kairos moments because the devil if you like wanted to use this situation to put on this woman more guilt more condemnation more pain on her life but Jesus seized the, the Kairos moment from him and instead began to speak life into that woman And I think it's wonderful that we can seize the Kairos moments that the devil wants to use to bring pain and hurt and destruction on people, that we can seize those moments and begin to use those moments as divine opportunities to pour something of the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God into our life. Can you say amen? Those Kairos moments. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the power and the ability, so you use those moments, you seize those moments to touch people with my power. How many of you remember? Did you ever have a car? I used to have one, a car without power steering. I'm bad enough with power, without power steering, but with. Can you imagine you know, you try and turn or park and you've had that car and you can't. You say, I mean, remember, remember those days. You're just trying to pull the steering wheel around and you can't get anywhere. And it's, and it's just effort and he's, you know, really struggling. And we're glad for power steering. You know, when I first went into a power steering, I was like, man, I could just do that. And he actually moved. And in that kind of way, if I can put it that way, that God wants to put in our lives power steering. No more struggling, no more striving, no more trying to make something happen. But as we live in the power of the life-giving water that God gives to us, his power will give us the compassion that we need for people. His power will give us the love that we need for people. His power will give us the patience we need for people. His power will give us the strength that we need for people. Isn't that awesome? As I I allow that life-giving water to flow out of me, it just brings all that I need to impact others with life-giving power. Here's the next thing. Almost finished. The Bible says it was a well-watered place. Jesus said, if you drink the water that I will give, you will never, ever thirst again. You'll never live an empty day again in Jesus. Can you say amen? There's not a day where he will not supply all you need because that's the place that Jesus purchased for you. How many of you have ever seen the film? Remember that, that part, Singing in the Rain? Remember that? We had the song in the rain. Was that, the only part we all remember is the, remember that sort when he sings Singing in the Rain? I remember, you know, and, he, and he's so in love, he just, he's there and he's, he's you know, Gene Kelly wasn't he? He was doing all kinds of things with his umbrella kind of thing. And he's just so in love, he gets to the point where he closes his his umbrella and the rain just soaks him. And I kind of thought sometimes that we need to close our umbrellas, if I can put it that way, and just let God begin to saturate us and soak us so that we receive all he has for 
our refreshing. Because he doesn't want you to live your life with a continual anticipation of lack. I could never do that. It could never be me. I could, I could never really achieve those things for God. I'll never have enough. I won't know what to say. I don't want to know what to do. And often this sense of, of lack begins to lock our lives up. Because we don't believe we've got the resources to meet the needs around us. Let me read to you, I think, one incredible verse. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 8. So, one Corinthians, so 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. How many would have waited there? <laughs> okay, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. I love this. And God is able to make all grace. Now, grace is in... The word grace actually means an empowering. So God is able to make all empowering to abound towards you that you will always have, always, that's the word always, have all sufficiency in all things and may have abundance for every good work. Isn't that awesome? That the place that God calls us to live is a place where Alibi's grace, Alibi's empowering, that we have, we always are sufficient for every good work, for everything He's called us to do. He provides all the resources, all the power that we need to do. Can you say Amen? 1 Peter 5, verse 10 says these words. But may the God of all grace who called us to the eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you've suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthened, will settle you. I just love this thing. That whatever comes against us, God can supply all that we need to face whatever comes. Sometimes God doesn't always remove the problem, but I tell you what he does do. He gives us the resources that we need to face the problem. He gives us all the strength that we need. He gives us all the ability that we need. No matter how hard a situation is, he supplies all that we need. He fortifies us. He strengthens us. And he begins to use those things to turn them around to fulfill his purpose in us. Baba says, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. How awesome is that? All the resources. We are sufficient for every single thing that rises up, every demonic attack, every single situation, every circumstance. The resources of God are sufficient. Can you say amen? Let me close with this one. I haven't got much more time about it. Let me tell you this. Let me close with this one. Jesus says that that the place that he wants us to be in is also a place of worship. He says the Father, notice this, what does he seek for? He seeks for worshippers. And you find in verse 23, be further down in that chapter. And that Greek word worship means to bow in reverence. But you know what, as I've studied that word, where I found out about that word, I love this one. It actually was used, Greeks used that word to describe a way of a dog with its master. I love it. 
Those of you who've got dogs will know this. That when you've got a dog, isn't that right, Simon? When you've got a dog, this will happen. That when you, you could be away for just an hour, and when you come back, they think you've been away days and weeks. They, they absolutely think you, they just absolutely go crazy and wild. That's true. They absolutely, you know, they jump up and they want to lick you all over and all that kind of stuff. Because there's almost something, that's the way kind of dogs act. You know, I thought that dogs have no self-consciousness of affections. They lick people. I mean, that means you've got no self-consciousness. Isn't that right? They, they lick all kinds of things. That's the way they demonstrate affection. And what that word is saying in worship is that God says, I want a people who are not self-conscious, but are aware of me. They want to express their love for me. They want to be close to me. They want to be near to me. Because worship is all about being close to Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, the Father seeks worshippers, not necessary worship. Think about that. In other words, worship, as wonderful as it is, it's not just what we do here. It's something, it's the way we live our life. Our lives become a lifestyle of worship. Our lives become an act of worship. And the Father, he says, the Father is seeking those who live a lifestyle of close proximity to me. Do you think of this woman in such a hard, difficult situation? And that's the person that Jesus tells that you can be a worshipper. The Father's seeking after you. With all your pressures, with all your problems, the Father's seeking after you to worship. And he uses two words. He says, true worshippers worship in spirit and in truth. That word truth means authentic. Authentic worshippers. It's authentic, it's real. Close this. I'll close with this story. My daughter, many of you know, Amy, my daughter, was in Hillsong for a few years. The first few months she was there, she suddenly found that $600 had just gone out of her account and it had been taken out of the cash point. And she knew, and she knew she'd not done it. $600 just went. And she looked and thought, oh, I've not taken that $600 out. Anyway, they investigated it, looked at it, and they discovered this. There was a one of the students was in her house and managed to get her PIN number and then took a card out of her purse, gone into the cash point and stole $600. And here's the story. A few weeks ago, how wonderful YouTube is. And we were looking at her YouTube where Amy's actually in the choir singing the Hillsong. She's in the choir singing. And here's the amazing thing. The one that stole the $600 is next door to her right next to her, worshipping. And this is the very moment she's stolen. She's like this. And that moment she's stealing $600 out of Amy's account. But like this. <coughs> Father seeks those who are authentic. You know what would have been better for that woman? To have gone to Amy and give her back a 600 That would have been true worship. Is that true? Because that worship was not authentic authentic worship because it wasn't worship in truth and it's in the spirit the greatest height of worship is when the spirit controls and we yield to the spirit as we yield to the spirit it will always take us into realms of worship 
Because the Spirit always comes to glorify Jesus. And that's why the more that you let the Holy Spirit work and yield for your life, He will draw you, He will raise you to be an authentic, powerful worshipper for His glory. Anyone want to live in that place of worship? What an awesome place to be. Let's just stand right now. Let's come before Him right now. Oh, let's just come before the Lord. Let's say, Lord, today, we want to be in an established place. We want to be in a place of cause and the life-giving place. The place that is well watered. Every resource available to you and I. For every need, for every challenge, for every pressure that rises up. I found that Jesus is sufficient for all these things. Never a need too great for him. Never a problem that he can't solve. Nothing's too big for him. His resources, his strength, his grace. Heavenly found is more than enough. And that's the place we live from. And we live from a place of worship. Let's worship him just these moments as we close today. Let's live from that place of worship. Authentic worship in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks. Father, look, he's seeking for worshippers. That's what he's seeking for above all else. He's seeking for those who want to be close to him. And live in that proximity of closeness to Jesus. And right now as we worship him, if, if, there, if there's a need today in your life, and just think, you know, as Pam was sharing about a foot right there, I just had some about ankles today. So if you've got a problem with your ankles, I just felt today God wants to... There's an ankle there. Someone's got a problem with their ankles that the Lord just wants to touch and move upon. I just worship Him today. And if you have other needs today in your life, we just love to pray for you. There's other situations. Say, Lord, I just need your touch. I just come before Him today. Into the place that's called us today. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delance Healing Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk.